Hello, I'm Alex Mansfield with Manny Things, and welcome to another episode of Manny Talk Shooting, the show where I talk to individuals all across the shooting industry. We'll talk competition, self-defense, concealed carry. If you enjoy this content, check out our YouTube channel, Manny Things. Without further ado, let's get to this episode. Welcome, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Manny Talk Shooting. Today, I'm honored to sit down with Amy Abbott, or better known as Amy556. Amy, how are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic, Manny. Thank you for having me on. No, thank you for accepting my invite and working with a very odd schedule. So I appreciate that. And uh, thanks for coming on. It'll be fun. Yeah, well, I imagine it's hard for both of us because we have day jobs. None of this supports any of us, I don't think. Um, And we are what seems like a country or two apart. I'm all the way up in Alaska and I'm not quite sure where you are. Uh, I'm on the east. I'm in Michigan, so I'm on Eastern time. So we're about four hours apart. You are not the farthest person away from me or in time zones. I've actually had someone from South Africa on and that is six to seven hours difference. Okay. So that's fun for planning. Yes, that was, it was very like, this has got to happen at this point. And if not, it's nighttime there or it's in the early ass morning. So, (laughs) well, so now that I know you're in the Midwest, and I know you're as obsessed, if not more, with shooting as I am. Let's talk. Let's do some winter comparisons. And uh, I know I understand that for the last maybe five years, you guys have actually had some rougher weather than we have up here in Alaska. It's been reasonably temperate um, the last few years. We've got a lot of snowfall, but it seems like you guys get these snowstorms and just crazy weather patterns that we really haven't seen for a while here. I would agree with that. Um, typically with Michigan, I get a bunch of lake effect snow. So the cold front hits the lake and it then blows up even worse. So it's not the best, but sometimes we get lucky and it keeps us a little bit warmer than other states in the Midwest. But yeah, we, we've been getting dumped on, which it's really, it's, it's already in the thirties around here um, uh-huh. as, our, as our lows, which I'm not looking forward to. I'm, I don't mind the, I don't mind the cold, but when it gets really windy and cold, that's where it's like, this is no fun. Same with us. So I live in what is called the Valley uh, really close to Anchorage. So we're just surrounded by mountain ranges, which makes the wind pretty crazy here. And the weather patterns are just kind of unpredictable. Uh, But I would agree with you when you have wind, you can't use paper targets. You can't really go out and do a heck of a lot of exercise if it's bad. And I just feel like I can take sub-zero weather all day What I and I can take snow. I just hate the wind. Yes, agreed. And it doesn't matter how many layers you pot on, it'll still find a way and get into your bones. Right. It'll absolutely wreak havoc on any kind of shooting activity you have going on. Mm-hmm. I mean, I people still make fun of me. I wear gloves when it's like 40 degrees out. So. Oh, yeah. me too. Yeah. If you're shooting outside or doing anything, uh, spending a lot of time outside when it's cold, you have to wear gloves or your hands crack. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah, so with that. anybody making fun of you isn't spending any good amount of time outside in the in the breeze. Uh, I've been wearing gloves probably since October up here. So, do you guys do a fair amount of matches? Um, typically, our season ends early November. If it's anything past like the second week of November, uh, the holiday like Thanksgiving gets in the way. And it just gets too cold and we lose daylight by five o'clock. So if your match goes till two, you're not picked up within an hour. It's, it could be dark by the time you're done. 
Right. Yeah. Same thing with us. We actually uh, start matches once a week near Anchorage at 7 p.m., but we have really good stadium lighting at, at our range. So I, I really prefer to do outdoor matches. I was just talking to a couple of police officers today. They said, man, we need to build more indoor ranges here. And I said, no, indoor ranges are really bad. Being a firearms instructor for, you know, almost two decades now, standing in an indoor range for a week at a time, you know, teaching a class, you leave with all kinds of, say hello to my uh, new kid. This is a new animal, or I would not let her jump up on me like this, but she's my new baby. We'll talk about animals. Indoor ranges just wreak havoc on your lungs and your throat. And I would stand outside in sub-zero temps and shoot all day long over an hour in an indoor range. Mm -hmm. We have a couple clubs that actually are cool because they have indoor ranges and outdoor ranges on their property. Um, But everyone who's got a membership to one of those, they wear like a half mask respirator in there because (laughs) the ventilation is horrible. But it was kind of funny with COVID we had to wear, some people were wearing masks and we just um, wore them the first few times because we didn't know what the range rules were. Mm-hmm. And I was like, man, this is actually kind of genius in an indoor range. I don't know why I've never worn one. Yeah, that'd be like, and the, I mean, you keep keep the, the, the soot, the carbon, the, the lead off of your face, which which is a good thing as well. I, it's pretty good because then it helps reduce your lead levels. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, so how long have you been shooting competitively? Um, I've been competitively shooting for a little over a year now. It'd be, I started a year, um, October of what year is it? 2020. So October of 2020, I started competing. Right on. So I've been competing since 2017. Uh, prior to that, I had 12 years as a law enforcement instructor and I, so So now I've been, yeah, an LE instructor for about 17 years, but I didn't get good at shooting until I started competing. So competitive shooting has really kind of changed everything for me as an instructor. And I'm sure you're already better in the classification scheme than I am. I, I never actually did get classified. I think I was, I was D class when I first started, not surprising. I went to a classifier match, came out of it without a classification. I thought the deal was you go there and do six stages and then, or classifiers, and then you get classified, didn't get classified. And now my USPSA membership is expired, but I still love going to the matches. So I'm kind of thinking this winter, I got to renew that, try to get classified somehow, but that's a question that always comes up. People are like, what, what's your classification level? And, you know, as a, as a serious three gunner and a not so serious USPSA air, I have to say, not only am I not classified, but I'm not currently in good standing with the organization as far as membership. Yeah. Which honestly, I, I say this all the time. It doesn't matter. I would say it doesn't truly really matter what someone's no name, no name or letter next to their name is if they have good information for you and are a reputable source. Like you, for example, are very much more than a competitive shooter. You know, you, you, you run five, five, six training lab, you do a bunch of stuff and you help the community all out more than people of higher classification skills who just don't care to share information. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I have so much respect for anybody who is a master or a grandmaster. And they say, I don't teach. I don't want to teach. That's not what I'm good at. I think sometimes people think that if you're really, really good at something like shooting, that you automatically should 
that makes you a good teacher or you owe it to the community to teach. I, I have nothing but respect for somebody that says I, I'm not interested in teaching. For me, teaching is a gift that I realized really early in my career with corrections. And I wanted to become good at shooting because I didn't want to see people struggle anymore. I really wanted to help people. So in order for me to do that, I had to put in a ton of years and I had to practice a lot and work on my personal development. Absolutely. And which, and not all, which I like how you said is like, not everyone wants to teach and not everyone is a teacher. Just because someone can do doesn't mean they can teach. Right. And sometimes you just wish the people who can do it, but don't teach, just don't say anything. Or the guys who don't, who can't do, don't teach. Just, just don't teach guys. <laughs> oh yeah, I absolutely agree. Yeah, you shouldn't teach beyond your level. And for some people, I don't even know if they should be teaching a beginner level, but they're out there teaching, you know, intermediate and advanced. Uh, for me, so the classes that I offer, I love teaching beginners. And you know, a lot of people won't because it's not extremely profitable. It's not profitable because you have a low student to instructor ratio. So you can't pack people 20 shoulder to shoulder at 600 bucks a pop. You can pack maybe four beginning pistol shooters in, but you know, any more than four or five. And I always have to pay an assistant coach to come help, but I'm still willing to do it. It's a, it's a big bulk of what I do because I want, I want people that are scared of guns to build confidence quickly. So, you know, whenever people ask what my, what I do, you know, on the side, besides corrections, I'm a parole officer full-time. And I tell them about my business. I say, well, we build shooters. I don't call myself an instructor. Or, um, trainer is an okay label. To me, instructor is just kind of, uh, it, it says that you have a certificate. And I don't know if it took you three hours to get that or three weeks to get that. I don't know what that certificate means or where it's from. But uh, I build shooters. So I take somebody that, you know, might be very timid and scared and doesn't know which end is the business end of a pistol. And by the end of eight hours, I want them to be able to confidently grip onto that thing and hit a paper plate several times at seven yards in relatively quick order. So I always tell people when they come to my classes, hey, um, we're going to start from from ground zero. So I start by telling them the four parts of a cartridge. I mean, I, I really start basic, but then we get into the shooting part of it quick. So lecture is just not effective. Um, but by the end of it, most people, I say, all right, here's the test, you know, you know, whatever it is, hit a paper plate at seven yards or do this stage safely. I say, did I not tell you that by the end of eight hours, you would be running around, not really just moving safely from one target to the next with a gun in your hand, reloading hitting targets. You did it. And, and I've never had a student fail. I've had one or two quit just because they brought the, the wrong equipment, but um, yeah, I build shooters and I try to do it uh, in the most efficient uh, and patient way possible. Yeah. And how many people do you, how many classes do you teach outside of your day job? Like in a year? So Yeah, that's a great question. I started this business uh, a month before COVID became a thing. Uh, so pretty quickly, you know, it was what March of 2020, the ammo just started disappearing off the shelves, but the gun sales were through the roof. So I had people calling off the hook, uh, for advice on what pistols to buy, what ARs to buy. 
So I did pretty good this summer of 2020 and we just kind of had ammo stockpiled. So we'd sell it to students and help. And um, then 2021 came along and it just, it felt like the ammo still wasn't hitting the shelves. People had their guns, but they were kind of trying to save the ammo. So I, you know, this year we didn't do as many classes as last year. I did maybe four a month. Last year, um, I was doing something between six and eight a month, which, and I keep most of my classes to one day. But when you think about, you know, working five days a week, one day, that is, you know, 50% of your, your weekend. So, you know, I really try to have that healthy um, life and work balance, but I do, I did try to dedicate one day a week last summer. And then this summer ended up like maybe two to four days a month. Fair enough. Yeah. I'd, yeah. As you're saying, ammo is gone. Ammo is hopefully starting to come back regularly. I know I, I reload. So components have kind of started to come back regularly. Good. I hope they consistently do that. Um, but we, we won't really know until it happens, I guess. Yeah. I, I buy everything factory and I've seen tons of two, two, three. So I'm a big three gunner. That's really important for me to have lots of two, two, three around. Um, lots of shotgun shells back, but I'm still having trouble with nine millimeter. It, I can find it, but when I find it, it's like tall ammo or, um, there's this, uh, I can't remember the brand It's called like Russia, something Russia, but like just these really low level brands. And I'm not going to say I have some picky guns, but my competition guns, like a 124 or 147 grain bullet. Mm-hmm. So, and I'm just ended up with garbage 115 options. So I'm grateful to see it back on the shelves. I can't wait until we kind of have the selection that we had in 2019. Yeah. It, I, I hope those days come back. I really do. Yeah. Well, I, um, what are you running for three gun? Like what's your burnt, do you have burner ammo and actually good long range ammo or are you using all the same things for, for you both? know, I'm, an ammo snob I figure out I always tell people especially with ARs find the 55 grain or you know sort of the middle shelf ammo that your gun likes mm-hmm. so for every gun that's going to be different I have run mostly LWRC in competitions and just recently I switched to a Zev but both my LWRCs and uh, my Zev they love PMC bronze and so you know it's not super expensive ammo uh, is it super accurate when I could get some Hornady red tips or, you know, some 77 grain bullets? Yeah, it's awesome. But um, typically I just will run PMC for shotgun. I'm super picky. It has to be Winchester double A's, the reds. Uh, there's some like Remington uh, game loads and, and stuff like that. That's pretty cheap, but uh, it, it's got to be the Winchester double A's. They're a little bit more expensive. Um, and then for pistol, like I said, if I, I don't care what it is, but it, as long as it's 124, or 147, it's pretty reliable. Uh, some of the 115s, uh, I can, I can notice it as a smaller frame shooter. The gun definitely recoils just a little bit more. Those heavier ones are definitely noticeably softer shooting for me in nine millimeter. But, um, I, I usually don't go terribly expensive on that stuff either. You know, I'll buy uh, Winchester if I find 124s or federal, something like that. We can't have it shipped to Alaska. So that's the other thing everybody has to understand is I have to buy what's in the box stores. So uh, it, you can only have ammo sh- transported to Alaska on a ferry. So unless you know somebody that, you know, has goods brought in on a ferry or you want to go in with somebody 
um, to have it shipped, you are at the mercy of the box stores if you're not reloading up here. And I'm not reloading. That I didn't know that. I didn't know that about Alaska. That that, that sucks. Well, I mean, everything's more expensive than Alaska, probably because of yeah, you know, having to deal with bull crap like that. It's oh yeah. Demand. It, everything's a trade-off though, right? Like I lived out of state for four years while I was going to school and I lived in a, a great state, a really free state. I lived down in Arizona and um, I loved it at first. I loved the weather. I loved that you could drive anywhere in four hours. You know, you could be in Vegas, you could be in California, but what really started to wear on me at the end of that four years is that every time I wanted to go camping or hiking, you either had to have a permit to go camping or the campground was all filled up. When I went hiking, there was just water bottles littered all over the trails and everything was just so crowded. And I thought, you know, for everything that we deal with in Alaska, the high prices, the difficulty in traveling in and out. So a, a lack of freedom, we gain so much freedom in movement in land that we're able to just go use without having to get a permit or ask anybody. And, you know, it, it, I'll never leave Alaska for that reason. And every time, you know, something comes up like the ammo issue we just talked about or cold or, you know, how expensive things are. I always think the trade-off is near absolute freedom up here. And especially with the gun rights stuff, as I've gotten more into the gun rights, we have open carry, um, it's, it's just very, very free up here. It's a great place to live. Mm -hmm. Well, especially you live near Anchorage. So you're at least, you're not like out in the BFE of nowhere, truly. I mean, you're somewhat close to civilization. Oh man. So for work, I cover a huge, huge part of the state. Like, I don't know, a site bigger than Texas is my area of responsibility. And so I have to go do probation and parole visits in villages and really rural places and I'm telling you, if you forgot to pack a cell phone charger or a toothbrush or something that you really need, you ain't going to find it out there. So I'm very, yeah, I'm very appreciative of the fact that I live where I can drive to Taco Bell if I want to. That's the part of Alaska I'm happy to live in. <laughs> the first you get, well, yeah, you don't have to, you can go get your <laughs> easy commodities. I never, That's right. never met somebody so happy to have Taco Bell. Oh man, if you go to rural Alaska, like, well, not even rural Alaska. There's some great towns that are accessible only by plane. Uh, Cordova, Alaska is one of those places that you should visit, but you've got to fly there. And as much fun as I would have there, you know, we'd go uh, look at the glaciers and, you know, we'd go look at the harbor and, and see cool animals and, you know, do all kinds of fun stuff while I was there. I'd get on that plane and the first thing I would do when I got back to Anchorage is go to the freaking drive-thru. I can't it's just there's something about not having fast food that makes me want it even more. Can't do it. It's interesting. I like that. Oh. Com creature comforts, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, now, what really made you in the beginning start designing and coming up with all of your drills that you've made? Well, so it seems kind of uh, played out at this point, but I started Instagram about four years ago. And one thing I noticed right away is people had some printout drills uh, from pretty awesome companies that were putting them for free on their websites. But a lot of times people would just go to the range and they'd post about, you know, their group size uh, or, you know, my, I tested this rifle, I did this or that, but it was pretty apparent to me that people didn't have 
very good ideas for when they got to the range. I saw just kind of a lot of aimless posts and, uh, you know, the same kind of stuff. Like the, the big thing when I got on Instagram was the sub second draw, right? Mm-hmm. And people weren't even really specifying a distance. I assumed it was seven yards, which it probably is a good measurable distance for something like that. But I wanted to just as an instructor, give uh, not only law enforcement, but civilians sort of a roadmap of what to do when they went to the range. So I just started posting things like really simple things like a fail to stop drill. Uh, this is, you know, kind of a standard and I would get standard the standards from either police qualifications or watching competitive shooters. And one thing that I, I noticed right away, cause I was new to competitive shooting. I was, I'd been in law enforcement training for a long time, but I noticed the disparity between comp- competition shooting standards, like just how fast the limits were, how high the ceiling was and law enforcement standards. And understandably, I mean, what have you got to lose going fast and missing in, in competition versus the absolute, need to be accurate law enforcement training, Mm -hmm. but I found that really interesting. And so I, I started making drills kind of based on competitive shooting times and law enforcement times. So like some of the law enforcement times would be, you know, what I would call passing Mm -hmm. on my drill. And then like really fast competitive shooter times would be the expert. And then people really liked that, you know, they would get a time and they'd go, wow, I'm not passing or meeting a very basic standard or damn compared to everybody else. It looks like I'm an expert in this. So I found that people very much wanted specific directions on what to do. They wanted drill directions, number one, and number two, they wanted some standard to measure themselves against when they went to the range. Fair enough. And I, and it's fun to see people post up your drills and you see different ones and, you know, you kind of compare yourself nationally against other people and see how you're doing. Um, it's kind of the great thing. like the USPSA classification system, you're, you can yeah. actively compare yourself um, through metrics. And that's always the cool thing is looking at these metrics uh, to see where you're so standing that- at, where you can pick up time, what you need to fix. And usually that's what all the drills will do is, you know, give you something to then figure out if you're failing on. I loved that about when I first got into competitive shooting in, in USPSA and I saw that you could get uh, classified and, and all the national standards. And I thought, wow, this, this is so great because I feel like the standards are, are not standardized across the law enforcement world. You know, I feel like there's really high performance police departments and then there's really low standard police departments. And that uh, is just going to depend on where you are. But one thing that I realized, you know, I'll never forget the day I stepped out and did steel challenge for the first time. And everybody thought I was crazy. They're like, oh, that's so brave. Are you scared? And I'm like, yes, I'm terrified to go stand there and shoot in front of a bunch of strangers. Like I'm going to look stupid. And one thing I realized after I, I got into that and right before I started making these drills is a huge majority of American firearms owners are never going to sign up for a match. I know that doesn't seem like a very true statement to people in the competitive shooting world or in the social media world, because it's all they see. They're like, there's tons of competitive shooters. I know lots of competitive shooters, but the truth of it is it, it, I don't know for what reason, either uh, paranoia, isolation, geographical limitations. There's a million reasons, a lack of membership. There's a million reasons why people will never step into the competitive shooting world. So I really wanted to reach all of the gun owners who just go to their backyard or go to a gravel pit and develop standards that they could go and use. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And 
for the most, some people I ask why they don't compete. It's usually because they don't want to get their butt kicked by the gynecologist or your mailman. Cause everyone's got that <laughs> high ego complex of, well, I, I, I'm a dude. I should be able to shoot really good at guns. And I will say there are a lot of women who can kick a bunch of dudes ass shooting pistols. Oh, for sure. Yeah. It's, it's so humbling. Yeah. I, it's funny that you say that because as I train more and more civilians in my local area, their spouses will look at, you know, the videos from class or they'll look at my videos and they'll say, Hey, my, my husband wants to come or, Hey, my wife wants to come to the next class. Like there, there is something about like, I don't want my wife to be a better shooter than me, or I don't want my husband to be a better shooter than me. Like it's, it's kind of funny if you start to get this idea that everybody's better than you but you love guns, you're just going to like isolate more and more and only want to go when nobody's watching. And that's fine. I'm, I support that hundred percent. It's just, if you're going to go to the range by yourself, uh, get better, start recording your times at, at specific distances and specific drills, have some measure of where you were at the beginning of the year and where, you know, you want to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the easiest way is it's not cheap, but get a time, like go get a timer, like Everyone thinks that it's like, well, I mean, you could use your phone. I have tried, I tried that in the very beginning and then it's just, it's, it's not, hard. Yeah. Well, <laughs> especially if you want to video, say like you're in dry fire, you want to video your dry fire, but you got to use the timer on your phone. Yes. It's so, it's just go spend the hundred and some odd $20 and go buy a timer. I agree. You know, I've talked, uh, I've been coaching so many uh, law enforcement officers this year, uh, sort of one-on-one coaching for people that are, are struggling. And that's been, you know, the most rewarding part of getting into competitive shooting is getting into a place where I can be very helpful, very effective and see very quick results in people that carry a gun as a condition of employment. So that's, that's where I get my greatest joy is, is one-on-one coaching with LE officers and watching them get better. And a few of them lately, I've actually, you know, we'll be running a qualification. And so I'll run them through the drill And then I hand them the timer and I said, all right, you're going to run me through. And they're like, whoa, how does the timer work? And I'm like, say, stand by, give it a second, push the button. And then making them run it demystifies the box so much Mm -hmm. that I can just see it. They're like, oh, that's not, it's not a scary thing. It's you pushing a button. And I'm like, yeah, it's just, you know, and then I encourage them all to go buy them. Cause like you said, part of my remote coaching, I, I coach officers that live like way out in Western Alaska that like, I can't meet up with to live fire more than a few times a year. So we'll do video coaching a couple times a week. And I, I just watch them grow. And I always tell them to get a timer. Like you have to get a timer because of exactly what you said. You have to film yourself when I'm not there and you have to catch it. You're leaning back or both hands aren't moving together or something that I don't want you paving into your brain. You've got to, you've got to get a timer. So I'm usually successful at convincing them to buy that in a couple of dummy rounds. Yeah. And and it's good to see people take that step and actually go get the equipment and yeah. But um, yes. but oh, what was I gonna say? Now I'm lost my thought. Oh, um, you, oh, I totally lost. What I was gonna say now. Damn it. <laughs> oh no. Uh, well, I was gonna talk about three gun a little bit um before we get too far. So that's kind of how I started. Like I wasn't mm-hmm. a big U.S. player. I started in three gun. I love three gun because. This shooting's hard, right? That's where I spend my time and money. I think that's where I spend all of our time and money. But three gun is such a beautiful thing because it goes to the very core of, I, I believe that firearms owners should be able to pick up any basic platform. And by basic platform, I mean uh, an AK 
or an AR type rifle, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, shotgun and a pistol. So, you know, those four basic things, I believe they should be able to pick that up and hit a target at 10 yards or at least be able to turn, manipulate the safety and, and make a shot because you never know, you know, you could be out hunting with somebody, they fall in the river, you got their freaking rifle and their shotgun. Uh, it could be a bear attack and they're just laying on the ground and it's just you and they were the one carrying the pistol and now they're down. I mean, you know, you never know home defense situation. I, I get kind of crazy in all my scenarios, you know, thinking about when you, when somebody might have to pick up a gun and use it. But that's why I love three guns so much because I feel like I'm never going to be a superstar pistol shooter. You know, I can endeavor to be very, very good, but I'm never going to be, you know, the best, best pistol shooter in the world. But kind of what I want to be is extremely proficient in all the basic platforms. So it's like three gun, that's my bread and butter, because if you're not having the best day of pistol or your shotgun freaking breaks, you still have a chance, you know, with the other two guns to kind of keep up and just switching platforms like that constantly. It, it just keeps you really, really sharp and it's super fun. And it's kind of sucks to watch it. Like I've talked to people that say, you know, it's dying out. People don't like to use shotguns anymore. It's dying out, but I'm very much, you know, hoping to grow it a little more, at least locally and hoping that all the three gunners reach out and try to grow it locally. Cause I see USPSA really, really growing nationwide and three guns just kind of, I'm not going to say it's, it's dead, but it's dying. It was funny you mentioned this because I was, I had, I did a live this afternoon and I kind of was talking about that in the beginning. If three gun had a national, like a national body, like USPSA, like three gun Mm -hmm. nation used to be. Yeah. Three gun would be thriving. I mean, USPSA does have a multi-gun rule set. But no one uses USPSA multi-gun rule set because it's not very friendly to three gunners and how the, like, for example, the ELS belt, right? You can just take holster, you know, mag pouches off and everything. But USPSA format, you can't take your pistol that's unloaded in the hole, remain it in the holster and remove it from the ELS. Oh, sure. Yeah. You have to go to the safe table to then remove that holster in USPSA format. But yeah. But, and it seems like three gun is regional. Like there's different, and then depending on the range you're at, there's extra rules or no rules about it. And, but if we had a governing body of three gun, I think it would come back because it is, I like multi-gun formats. I I'm trying at my own, of my local club, start a two gun series because everyone, everyone likes two gun and it's sometimes people don't have semi-automatic shotguns. Yeah. 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 Well, the shotgun part is so hard. Um, by the way, if you guys ever want to run three gun matches, come up here to Alaska to, to Birchwood. Uh, the guys that organize that are just awesome. Like they, I, I won't say they, they, they definitely are very knowledgeable about the rules of both the USPSA and multi-gun, but they're super brave and they have the, the coolest. They just, they think of really cool outside the box stages. So if you ever can come up to Alaska and catch them, we only do them once a month near Anchorage. So we only get like maybe four or five a year. We do a state championship usually in August or September. That is a flipping blast. I'm going to try to get more people up here for it this year because they do such a good job with it. But um, yeah, I agree. I don't know much about the history or multi-gun nation. I've, I got into three gun after all of that, but uh, nothing is more fun. I I agree that the shotgun is a real limitation. So, you know, people trying to get into it. I think one thing, I I think the main thing is people don't like shotguns. Shotguns are big, dumb guns that do big, dumb things and they hurt. 
if you don't know, uh, you know, to use the right load. So like I use low recoil slugs and people are like, you know, we had a whole slug stage last year at state. People are like, oh man, didn't that beat you up? And I'm like, no, dude, they're low recoil slugs. They're one ounce. They're nothing here. It's like shooting a 22 try. And they're like, oh, that's cool. Like, I didn't even know that was an option. Or, you know, as far as uh, shells go, like I'll use a, an 1180 or a 1200. Guys are out there using 1300s or prairie storms or whatever, but not me. You know, like I, well, once you find a good shotgun and then you find ammo that you can handle, it's a flipping blast. Mm-hmm. I would agree. I, I'm working on building my three gun shotgun uh, right now. I have a Mossberg 930. It's got, nice. a, it's got a cantilever barrel on it. So as soon as I swap the barrel and I can put an extension on the tube, I'll be okay. But that's the only limit. Yeah, right uh, Briley Manufacturing, uh, B-R-I-L-E-Y. If uh, you haven't looked yet, that's where I got the tube for my Breda, which took the same tube as a Vanelli. Um, and then I just recently got that in tactical 1301 oh the shotgun of my dreams but right now it only holds five so um i i don't really want to put a tube on it though it's like a tactical shotgun it's like my tactical shotgun dream i kind of want to keep it for home defense but i kind of also want to take it and show it off at three guns so i don't know what to do yeah and no one wants to have five rounds in the shotgun i mean that just no <laughs> it just sounds like I, that's a lot of quad loading oh my gosh i know yeah yeah uh so yeah Stuck with my my four foot long braided shotgun. I look like I'm wielding a damn two by four. But that thing is an awesome duck hunting gun. I use my three gun shotgun for duck hunting, and you have to put a plug in it, you know, so it only holds two in the tube and then one in the hole. But um, yeah, it's it's three gun is a blast, man. Mm-hmm. I, I I'm hoping one of our clubs picks up more multi gun at least because it, it's so fun. It's so fun to watch. Oh man, it's the best. You know, the guy that did one of the guys uh, that did so good this year at three gun up here, uh, his name's Ben. He, um, he used a Remington 870 and he was an open cause he put a dot on it, but he, he was freaking killing us with that pump shotgun. Like people had vepers and, you know, 10 round tubes. And this guy was out there with a pump shotgun straight killing it so i would just say for anybody listening that's interested in three gun uh if you've got an 870 or something like that don't let that limit you just get really good at it and come in and beat everybody like ben did this year Mm -hmm. and i you didn't do too bad as i uh i had to practice score stock you so you didn't do too bad uh, on the Uh three gun championships you were in the top look at it let me see if i can pull it up right now you're at least in the top 20 for sure or it or something like limited's the biggest and so i think i was like fourth or fifth for limited but I, I don't remember exactly i had a really the longest stage of the match i did really poorly they okay i'm not making excuses here but there was this awesome stage that was probably like took two and a half rifle mags right and there was this these targets i was calling layer cake targets and they were they literally took five turtle targets and they had like maybe an inch of brown and then it was like white in between brown and, white. and they put this thing at 40 yards. Right. So it was like, do I get down in the freaking dirt and get these hits? And then the people that really ended up doing really good at that stage. I, I fucking took, sorry about my language. You can cut that All out. Right. If you want to leave. Okay. Okay. Um, I took some no shoots on that stage. Those awesome layer cake targets. 
And then later people were like, I didn't even try to hit those. I just took the mics. And I was like, Oh, that's not a bad deal. Because if you, you know, if you miss, what is it? Minus five. And then, yeah, if you hit a no shoot three gun penalty, you're toast. I took so many penalties on that stage, but I freaking shredded um, a few of the shotgun stages. We had this awesome stage. Like I said, the guys up here are just so awesome at designing them. We had this um, jungle run stage. We had one where you like ran up the side of a gravel pit. Like it was seriously like an eighth of a mile run up to like really far rifle targets. So like we were breathing super hard after the hike. I thought it was just kind of, kind of realistic and, and kind of awesome. But um, yeah, that was, uh, yeah, multi-guns where I can, where I have a chance to shine. USPSA, I there ain't nothing shining on that. I might have a stage, you know, I won't call it a stage win. I'll call it like a top three or four once in a while. And then I'm like, man, I did good in this uh, one stage tonight, <laughs> but I keep going to USPSA because I like to get my ass kicked. I, right. I really do love the struggle of it. And I love coming back with all kinds of stuff to work on. And um, yeah, I just, there's something about the struggle of it that, and just getting beat down that I keep coming back for. Are you still shooting 40? in uh uspsa or do you still are you sticking with nine so i actually never did shoot 40 i shoot 40 at work mm -hmm. uh and i did buy a smith and wesson five inch 40 because i wanted to go major but the other thing is i was starting to get more and more into optics into red dots this year and once i found out that there was no major so i didn't even know this i didn't know that there was no major in carry optics mm-hmm so i was like okay i got this gun that i wanted to put an optic on and then go and shoot major and so I'm like, well, you know what? I'm just going to, I'll stick with the nine mil. But so I ended up selling that gun and not uh, shooting major. So limited my, and you know more about USA than I do, but from what I'm told, you're not going to get too far in limited minor. If you're just kind of an average shooter, you need to do something a little more off the beaten path, like production. And I just honestly haven't looked into it. Yeah. Unless you're less kiss Martoni who shoots limited minor with a Beretta from appendix and is a fucking gangster. Yeah. Les is one of the best shooters I've ever seen. I, I can't remember the, back when Instagram used to suggest videos for you. They don't so much do that with the gun stuff. Now, uh, Les popped up in one of my videos you might like, and he does a lot of indoor range stuff, you know, and I was just blown away. I had no idea he's using a DASA gun to, freaking shred like this. Everybody else was using a STI or, you know, some really super fancy striker fired gun. And, um, he just shredded. Like I loved watching him shoot it. His reloads were insane. And he's actually the one that got me into Beretta's and, uh, told me to check out Langdon tactical. And I ended up getting a Beretta 92 and I took it apart on Christmas day, the year I had it. And I compare it to like, the highest level Star Wars Lego set you could find. There's like nine 99 pieces and springs on the table. And I was like, what the fuck did I just do? A Glock has 35 parts, including the four parts that are on the magazine. What did I do? <laughs> so I spent, Ernest Langdon has a phenomenal uh, video on how to disassemble and reassemble it. Um, so I was able to put it back together, but yeah, I got a credit less with getting me into Beretta's and uh, yeah, he doesn't take the easy, the easy path, the easy path to being a GM for sure. Mm -hmm. And uh, speaking of Instagram, have you seen well, now that they've kind of re reduced some of the restrictions or the hindrance on our kind of content? Has it um, has your channel grown? Has it gotten better? 
have you been or is it kind of still like it gets there but it's you're getting restricted well i haven't noticed any restrictions i always think it's so funny when people post like screenshot i was restricted or it said i posted so like everyone's such a victim and they have such conspiracy theories like for a long time they were posting um the algorithms are really keeping my page from growing it's the algorithms and it's like have you seen your content it is not useful mm-hmm. your content's like look at your content are you helping anybody is anybody getting anything out of your page or are you just expecting that you should have all these followers because you posted a picture of a glock next to a donut that's not useful to anybody no right. offense to anybody else i love a good donut clock picture but who is that help? right <laughs> so i i uh I've, I've never noticed that i've been restricted i haven't noticed i mean i don't know about account growth i I hardly ever notice that anymore because it just really doesn't happen unless some company or some big shooter reposts, you know, you know, and mm-hmm. so I to kind of stay steady at a number. I'm, I'm really grateful for everybody that I'm connected with, but I'm just saying it's just kind of been steady for a long time. So no, no real increase there. Um, but I have noticed an increase in shooting videos recommended to me, which makes me happy. I also don't want to go back to the day I started Instagram. How long have you been on Instagram? Uh, about two, three years now. Two, three years. Okay. So I think I started four or five years ago and I almost got off right away because they were force feeding you all of these just ridiculous, like the same clowns that have 250,000 followers just mm-hmm. posting clown stuff all day. And it was like, they, so you you'd have to block them just so you weren't getting constantly the same moron that had 300,000 followers. And then they were really forcing a lot of the gun bunny stuff, uh, a lot of the new pictures, um, all that stuff. So Instagram was just kind of a place where I was like, man, these, you know, 20 really popular people must control everything and nothing else matters. And so I don't, I, I did like it when they stopped with the gun, uh, things, you know, stuff you might like. Cause I was like, man, now all I have to see in my feed is the people that I want to follow. So that was a relief. So now that it's coming back a little bit, it, it's kind of nice that I'm getting suggested videos, but I don't ever want it to get back to that force feeding garbage culture that it was started. Or yeah, or the fact that you couldn't find anyone's content unless you like knew their username. Because oh yeah. You were getting restricted or all you see is tits and ass on there or. Oh yeah. Like, yeah. like or like all the cartoons, because you liked one story about <laughs> something retro and you're like, now this is all I see. What is this crap? <laughs> so, all right, you're not allowed to think about this, but you have to say right now, what three main things do you get in your suggested feed? Go. Ooh, uh, dogs. Um, <laughs> what else? Was, uh, TNA, because it's, it's all over the internet, but it's, uh, <laughs> what's this there? Oh, like pokemon for some reason it's pokemon oh that's so funny well okay so i get um makeup because i'm obsessed with like beauty pages uh pop culture i get like all this gwen stefani britney pop star stuff so i must like a fair amount of that and uh i get like these crazy like raccoon and cat memes now so i guess they know i have because i'm a new cat owner i've never had a pet in my entire life which i want to talk about pets real quick Mm -hmm. but um yeah figured out that I have a cat. So those are the three things that I get. But now like once in a while, I'll be scrolling through things you might like and I'll see a shooting video. So that's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. I've seen some gun pictures like in the, you know how you go to search for something and then like the the shit, the, the random shit they like, you think you'll like, 
it's a gun picture yeah. I'm like okay this is nice now i can see some of this now yeah yeah it is cool when you actually like i'll see a freaking hilarious video or meme or you know simpsons or family guy or something that kind of like really cheers me up but that's the thing you know like you when they started doing stories a couple of years ago um people just kind of didn't know what to do with it but i've really tried to keep it positive i'm sure you follow a lot of the same gun pages as i do but there's something about this culture that's overwhelmingly like negative and dark. And I think as gun owners, we have to be pretty defensive, you know, constantly. We have to post stuff when, and draw a line in the sand when legislation is being introduced that we don't like. Or, but, but it gets really sort of nasty and negative. You know, I'll watch, I've had to block several people's stories because all day it's just um, political posts, angry posts, um, doom and gloom posts. So mm-hmm. I've kind of, you know, people might hate the Miss Sunshine bull crap I post sometimes, but I do try to post comedy. I do try to post a little bit of like, um, kind of light life advice, like, hey, I'm working out this number. And I don't th- like force it down people's throats, but I'm doing this new workout challenge or I'm reading this book or, you know, I saw this post that kind of like cheered me up. I want people to look at my story and kind of get a break from all the doom and gloom. I just want to offer a little bit of cheer and, and brightness into what is otherwise kind of a, a pessimistic community sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A lot of people can be really negative on social media about their own shooting, about someone else's shooting. Uh, I, I would say if you're really negative about things, uh, go read this book with winning in mind. It's, it's a performance, you know, book about the mental, mental state and the mental system, but it really makes you think golf. on the other side of the coin. Is the golf dude. Uh, no, uh, well, no, Lanny Basham wrote this book and he is an Olympic, uh, rifle shooter. Oh, he's a rifle shooter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, his son, Troy, I think is the golfer. Okay. I, I picked that book up, uh, with winning in mind, uh, about four years ago when I got a couple chapters into it. And for whatever reason, it just didn't really, I I think what didn't resonate with me is a, I'm not a winner. So I was just, you know, I didn't really relate to it, but B (laughs) it was, it was a lot of, uh, to win, you have to be positive or to win, you have to visualize yourself as a winner. And I was just kind of at a place back then where I'm like, that doesn't help me with recoil control. That doesn't help me with uh, feeling so defeated when I leave a match. It, it, you know, it doesn't, what, what helped me more is, you know, pretty recently uh, at the recommendation of Rob uh, Epiphania, I started reading about David Goggins and some of these really high performance athletes that the message is like, there's no secret. You just have to work your ass off. Mm-hmm. And that's helped me a lot more. I'm like, okay, yeah, that makes more sense to me than p- visualize yourself as a winner. Mm-hmm. And it, it all depends but on your Rob, mindset too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, you, what are you working for if you don't have a vision of winning or succeeding in some way, you know? Right. Yeah. But to me, the ones that are put your nose to the grindstone and work, uh, that, that just makes a little bit more sense to me. Mm-hmm. And I know you wanted to talk about pets, so go right ahead. <laughs> oh Yeah. So I love your posts about your dogs. I think they're so cute. And I, I would never have related to that until I just got this kitten like a couple months ago. And I'm not a cat or a dog person because my allergies are crazy. But for whatever reason, this little cat was born in a barn and needed a home. And I was like, fine, she could just live in the garage. I'm not allergic to this thing. It's like a, it's like a miracle. It's like the star of Bethlehem Christmas miracle. I'm 
I'm allergic to this damn cat. And so now I like, I love her so much that when I see your posts, I'm just like, oh my gosh, pets are life. They are like, they are the world when you have them. They are. And they just know how to make your day better too. It's like, you could be having the crappiest day and you get home and they're yeah. sitting there looking at you like, first you have to feed me <laughs> and pet me, but I love you. <laughs> Yeah, I know. It's the craziest thing. Well, the cat. So do you, you have any cats or just dogs? I am allergic to cats. So I just have the two dogs. Me too. Yeah. Craziest thing. So, uh, so I've had, you know, as a kid, we had dogs, but the craziest thing about cats is, uh, no noise. Like when she Mm -hmm. meows, it's so cute. We're like, Oh, it's so cute. It's like once a month she makes a noise. (laughs) So dogs, I would imagine are a little louder than that. And then she's like, she wants to know what we're eating, but she doesn't want to eat our food, which is an awesome difference from a dog. Oh, and she potty trained in four hours. So yes. those, like, mm-hmm. yeah, but she can't protect us really, or very much alert us when somebody's coming. So those are drawbacks. And she's just not quite as like, she's way more independent than a dog. I would imagine the dog would just like want to follow you everywhere. They do. And yeah, my dogs don't protect me for crap because, but they'll tell me someone's here. You frick, you well, move wrong on the floor. They're like barking up a yeah. storm because, like, who's here? I'm like, yeah. I just moved. Yeah, no, that's huge. That's huge. Yeah, no, you know, one of the scariest. Okay, let's go dark here for just a second, like way off the topic. We had a serial killer here in Alaska named Israel Keys. And uh, he got caught for killing uh, a young girl locally. And, uh, when we, when he was in custody, it turned out that he was flying all over the United States and killing in separate instances, which was really quite brilliant because he wasn't just sticking to one location. So he was, uh, going in and out of these towns, killing and leaving. And one of the stories is just chilling. So you guys have to look this up on Wikipedia, but he flew over to, I think it was Connecticut, which is other side of the country from Alaska. He decided I want to kill. So I'm going to find a house. It has to be ranch style, one story. Um, It can't have any dogs was one of his criteria. And it can't have any kids. I'll kill anybody else. I'll stock this house for a couple of days. And so what he did is these people went to sleep. It was a couple um, that were, uh, I want to say they were like maybe in their fifties sleeping and he snuck into their house so quietly and he wanted to attack them. I can't remember what the term he used, but he wanted them to be shocked. He wanted to be standing at the foot of their bed with a gun when they woke up and he was successful. So they woke up to this guy standing over him and, you know, he tied him up, kidnapped him, um, took him to another location and, and murdered him. And it was just so chilling reading that story. Cause I was like, that's so creepy. Like if they would have even had a dog, Cause what can any of us do? Like, we're all so good with these skills that we have, you know, like nobody better break in here. You know, they don't stand a chance, but when someone gets the drop on you, when you got zero chance to respond, um, what can you do? So I think that dogs are so valuable in that, in that respect, like alerting you, that's everything. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And they just make cute companions 90% of the time. <laughs> yeah. 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 Now, Amy, we're getting near our time, um, but is there anyone that you want to shout out or give thanks to for uh, supporting you throughout this your and uh, your journey through firearms instruction? Oh, you know, so so many people, um, people with pages that you could actually find on social media and Instagram uh, would be uh, Rob Epifania E P I F A N I A. Does that sound right? So it's pretty close. 
Epi, like EpiPen, and then mm-hmm. F-A-N-I-A. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So go find Rob. Uh, Velox training group, Nick over there, B-E-L-O-X. He, he's helped me quite a bit along the way. Um, yeah, you know, there's just been so many mentors over the years that have, that have come and go. And then there's, you know, tons of companies. But, you know, more than anything, it's just been really helpful for people to reach out and, and say when I'm, when something doesn't look right, like that was a really shitty reload. That was really slow. Your sport hands getting lazy. You need to work on your movement. Um, I've got a weightlifting coach now, Kelly Rongo, K E L L I E R O N G O. And she does a lot of the police, uh, training and workouts for effective fitness. So it's a police posts, uh, page, but basically she has helped me for the last year remotely, uh, get some muscle. So I don't shuffle around the stages like an old man anymore. I actually have some explosive movement and run. So yeah, Kelly's been a big help, but, um, yeah, no, I just appreciated being part of this community and, and meeting people like you that, you know, I would have never known you if it wasn't for social media. So I say we all, uh, you know, do our best to pull in five to 10 people a year into the shooting community locally and uh, just keep supporting each other in any way we can because it's uh, it's an awesome awesome community and the shooting sports need to grow for sure. Gun ownership needs to grow and competent gun handlers and shooters. Uh, we can never have too many of those. Never have too many good guys that know what they're doing with the gun in their hands. So I appreciate this opportunity. Thank you for giving me a, a platform here. And uh, yeah, I'll be sure to share it whenever you publish it. Yeah. And I couldn't agree more with that statement. I mean, we all we need, need to bolster our community, bolster our rights and bolster our F, our yeah, our efficiency with a firearm. And no, thank you, Amy. Thank you for coming on and letting me talk with you for a little bit this evening. And honestly, it was a blast. And yeah. um, we'll find this Seriously. wherever we'll find this wherever they can. Um, but guys, remember, get out and do the things and I'll catch you on the next one. Bye. <laughs>